You guys doing good? Okay. Good. Ready to hear the word tonight? All right. Good. You know me, I'm always ready to give it. So if you're ready to hear it, I'm ready to give it. We're going through the book of Romans. I don't know when we're going to get through this thing. Take six verses tonight. We're going to be through, I don't know, maybe before the rapture of the church. I don't know. But I love the book of Romans. It, uh, it can be hard to understand. I mean, I don't know if you guys, you know, had that trouble. But I remember as a young believer, it was tough for me. And uh, hopefully as we're studying and as we're going through the scriptures, it's helping you get it. Because we got to get the word. If you don't understand the word, you're looking at something, ask the Holy Spirit to help bring understanding. That's part of his responsibility. That's part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, is to help us understand scripture. You know, as one of the teachers, all the other teachers that stand up here and, and preach the word, we spend hours and hours and, and days. I spend more time studying the scripture now than I ever did because I have more time to do it. When I was pastor and I had to get it done in about a day or a day and a half, now I'm looking at it for weeks and just going into it. And I love that. But to get something good out of the scriptures, you know, you got to mine it out. You got to mine it out. And it takes effort. And it truly does. You want to know the scriptures? Search them out. Study them yourself. Read them. Have them daily running in your life. Uh, it's so important to have the word in our life. That's why I love teaching it. You know, as I looked through the book of Romans and as I taught through it the first time in 1997, a few years back, uh, it helped me see that our God is very loving, that he is very caring, that he is sovereign, and that he is purposeful, purposeful, that uh, God, as I've always said over and over again, he's always working behind the scene, you know, his purpose is weaved throughout our lives. If you look in your life, I love this, I, I, I love the teaching that we just went through, the 2020 and the hindsight and looking through all of that. And, and Pastor Jeff talked about the providence of God. You know, we see that in our life. We see his hand just weaved through our life. I, I see it before I ever even knew him. But he knew me and he knew you. So he was there for us and I, and I love that. It's a book of grace and I love grace. I think I've got a slide up there on what grace really is to me. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. And that's truly what it is, isn't it? That's the grace of God. Jesus gave his life for you and me, and God gave his most precious thing, his only begotten son. That's his riches that he gave to us. I don't think we understand what the grace of God really is and how amazing it is. I've walked with the Lord Next year, in 2021, it'll be 50 years, and I can't even believe that. I'm too young to be walking that long with the Lord. But I don't truly understand the grace of God still. It, it amazes me, guys, the grace of God. Because God's grace and love, they just, they intertwine. They truly do. And he loves us so much. God has the right to destroy mankind this very minute because of his sinfulness to destroy us. But he doesn't do that because of his grace. The world experiences God's grace all the time and he wants all to be saved and come to the knowledge of the Lord. God destroyed uh, this planet one time. Remember the days of Noah. And you know what God's grace and his love did? Saved one man and his family. Started all over again. That's God's love and that's God's grace. God's grace and love has redeemed us 
futuristically, it's going to glorify us. Jesus' death, which, you know, that's what we do. We remember his death. It has justified us. It has sanctified us. In other words, he's made us right with him because of that. He sanctified us. He, he, has set, he has set us apart when we got saved for him. And he's continually working sanctification in our life. Setting us apart for his purposes and for his holiness. We should look different, you know, when we first started as Christians to when you get old like me. We should be a little different. That's sanctification. And we should be growing as Christians. You should look more like Jesus today than you did the first day you met him. You should act a little bit more like Jesus. You should speak a little bit more like Jesus. The Lord's been stirring my heart up uh, so much about the Holy Spirit and, you know, his, his work in our life and in the church. And I, I, I believe in this. I believe it's a word from God that God wants us as the church, his journey to, to really, in 2020, move more in the Spirit of God. Be more sensitive to the Spirit of God. Be more led by the Spirit of God. Jesus was led by the Spirit all the time. He did the works that he saw his father doing. He spoke the things that he heard the father saying. And, and I hear the Lord saying, I want you to do that. I want you to not be afraid to lay hands on the sick and see him healed. I want you to give grace like I gave grace. I, I want you to love people. Don't beat them up with the Bible, but love them like Jesus did. You know, don't cast the first stone. We're all sinners, right? Saved by grace. But the Spirit wants us ministering and doing the works of Jesus. I really hear that, and, I, and I'm hearing others say those same, same things. It was funny because God really put that on my heart. And uh, I've got a brother in the church that confirmed that, you know, that that's important to do. And that I should be saying stuff about that. I'm carrying a banner for that. I saw the Spirit work in the old days. And we need to see it work again. Amen. Amen, we truly do. So as we get into chapter 7 tonight, you know what I always like doing? I always kind of like going back and looking at kind of verse or chapter 6, and then we'll move into chapter 7, and we'll look at verses 1 through 6. And again, Paul's talking about law. He's talking about the grace of God. And he was talking about the grace of God in, in verse 1 of, of chapter 6. He said, you know, now that you've got grace... He said, don't just keep on sinning because you've got that grace. Don't exploit grace. Christians do that from time to time. We exploit grace. We take advantage of grace. Have you ever done that? I've done that. Man, the grace, is, the grace of God is so amazing that he loves us in spite of ourself and our sinfulness. And we take advantage of that from time to time. It's not a license to sin. That's what Paul's saying. Now that I'm teaching about grace, I don't want you to use it as a license to sin, like a, you know, get out of jail card free. My dad was a cop, and he was a mean cop too. But when I started driving a car at 16 years old, which I couldn't wait to do, he gave me his police card, or a little card that had his name on, badge number, and the whole kind of thing on, on the back, it kind of said, this is my son, you know, take care of him or something. In other words, that was kind of like a get out of jail card free. And I had a good friend of mine, his dad was a cop too, and he ended up having a card like that. 
it would get us out of jail sometimes. It's like grace, you know what I mean? I played the grace card. I was a little afraid to do it until I saw my, my buddy who was a surf buddy of mine one time. He just grabbed it, put it on top of his license and handed it right to the office. I went, that's what I need to do the next time. But grace can be exploited and we're not supposed to do that. But thank God for his grace. In verse 4, he said that we have died with Christ, we were buried with Christ, and now we live a new life. Now we live a new life. In verse 6, he talked about that sinful nature, that, that sinful nature was crucified with Christ. And that death and sin lost its power over us. That's hard for us to understand. It's lost its power over you and lost its power over me. But we got to come to grips with that reality and we got to really believe it and walk in it. He goes on to say, don't give in to those sinful desires. Don't let that sin control you. Well, how does that happen? Can we muster it up ourselves to fight against the struggle? Which in verse 14 of 7, it starts the whole struggle. Paul went through it too. He was a mature man of God and he struggled with the sin in his life. Well, he'll talk about how we can fight against those sinful desires in our life and the struggle that we face. Verse 13 said, don't let any part of our bodies become an instrument of evil. Instead, give yourself completely to God to be an instrument to do good. An instrument to do good, like our sister playing her guitar. That's an instrument for good. It's blessing the Lord as she plays that thing. That's what he wants in our life, to be instruments of good. He says, don't be a slave to sin. Because it's not your master anymore. You've been released from it ruling over you. We're free. We're free indeed. But do we live that? Well, sometimes, sometimes we don't. We're slaves to righteousness now. Listen, our, our human nature is weak. I'll admit it is. Mine's weak. It's weak. What did Jesus say to Peter? You know what he said to him? He said, listen. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It's very weak, and we struggle with that. And that's a thing we're going to have to be struggling with. He says, don't be, but now be slaves to God and do the things that lead to holiness. Tonight, we look at verses 1 through 6 in chapter 7. Are Christians under the law? Are we under the law? Paul speaks about the law a lot. In this chapter, and I want you guys all to stand up because we're going to read some verses and honor God's word. 20 times it's mentioned in this chapter, in chapter 7. It was mentioned 17 times in chapter 2. Mentioned 5 times in chapter 3, 6 times in chapter 4, 3 times in chapter 5, and 2 times in chapter 6. 53 times in 6 chapters. People put themselves under the law, and that's what Paul was trying to come against. The Judaizers would do that. Paul would come into a town and start preaching the grace of God, and it's all about God's grace. And they would all of a sudden come on in and just try and slam these people with putting them underneath this law and this burden that they couldn't live. No one can live this law because of this sinful flesh. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 7. Now, dear brothers and sisters, you who are familiar with the law, don't you know that the law applies only while a person is living? For example, when a woman marries, the law binds her to her husband as long as he is alive. 
But if he dies, the laws of marriage no longer apply to her. So while her husband is alive, she would be committing adultery if she married another man. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law and does not commit adultery when she remarries. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your word. Holy Spirit, I just ask you to come tonight and open our hearts. Help us hear what you would speak tonight, Father. Touch my brothers and sisters' hearts. Open our ears that we might hear, Lord. Let us take your word and let us hide it in our hearts, Lord, that we might not sin against you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Why don't you all sit down, guys? We have a touch of water here. Paul said we're released from the law, but you know, as we first start this one section here, I love how he starts talking about brothers and sisters, and, and, and it just started making me think of just how we're a family. We're a family. And in the old days, we used to call our brothers and sisters our forever family. In other words, that person, look at the person next to you on the left and the right. You're going to be with them for the rest of eternity, so get used to them, Okay. <laughs> But the amazing thing about that is what I've realized over the years is that your spiritual family, your Christian church that you belong to, that they can be closer to you than your own flesh and blood. Haven't you experienced that? I went to the Colorado River one time back in the 70s, and uh, this was after I got saved. I used to go there before I got saved, and I did a bunch of hellish, sinful stuff. But then once I got saved, I said, I need to go there and go do something good. So I think I should have a slide up. Are we got a slide up there? There you go. I went to Colorado River one time. I don't know. Any of you guys recognize that, that magazine? Nah, you don't. You're too young for that. <laughs> but we went to the Colorado River sometime in the 70s, and we wanted to witness to the people that were there. They were living in sin, just like we used to. And uh, we grabbed a whole bunch of these uh, Hollywood free papers, and they were put out between 1969 and I think, uh, what's the date I have on here? Uh, 1975. So we went up there to pass them out, and we passed them out, witnessed to a bunch of people. But Sunday came along. So Sunday, we wanted to go to church. So I don't know how we found a church, but we ended up finding a church. And my wife was with me. She was, we weren't married at that time. And her girlfriend was there, a person that I helped kind of lead to the Lord. And we went to this church. And it was, I'm telling you, you know, we were, we were young. And we were Jesus freaks. And my hair was really long and the whole thing. We're coming in flip-flops and to church like we used to go to church, you know, where we came from. And we went in, and I tell you, it was an older uh, pastor and his wife, and boy, they just loved us. They loved having Jesus freaks in their, in their church. And they invited us over for, to, to eat with them. And, and we had the most wonderful time. I mean, the fellowship was so sweet. And it made me think of, and that picture came to me when I was thinking about, that's our family. And I remember walking away and said, wow, I got families that live out in Arizona. I didn't even know it. But that family that we have, it's important, guys. Invest in each other. I love that we're doing home groups and stuff. What a great place to invest. Spend time with one another. Bless one another. Pray for one another. I saw tonight when I came in here and I was getting ready, people going around praying for people. That was awesome. That's the kind of stuff we're supposed to be doing. That's the stuff that the Spirit wants us doing all of the time. 
Be sensitive to the Spirit. Well, the law applies to the living, he says. New American Standard says that it has jurisdiction, that it has dominion over that. The Phillips translation says it has exercise or exercises authority over. The law doesn't apply to a dead person. It applies to a person who is alive. And remember, we're dead because we're in Christ. We died with him. Jeffrey Epstein, you know, this is an illustration, you know. That guy was in prison waiting for trial, and what happened? He died, committed suicide. They wanted to see a trial. All of those women that he violated wanted to see a trial. They couldn't try him. You see, the law isn't for dead people, and that's what Paul's trying to talk about. California put out 100 new laws this year. Do you know it? Does anybody know any of the new laws? A couple, you know. I'm going to tell you something. You're subject to every one of them, whether you realize it or not. And, and I'm going to tell you something that, you know, you can't plead ignorance to any of them because that doesn't make your action right. You get pulled over. Well, officer, I didn't know that. He says, well, that's okay. Here's your ticket. Have a nice day. And you probably don't have that little card that gets you out. But our legislators sometimes make wacky law. Listen to this one law that I found. There was a whole list, but we don't have time. Redwood City, it's against the law to fry, gra to fry gravy. You can't have fried gravy. So if any of you are doing that, you're breaking the law if you're in Redwood City. In 2019, did you guys know that when it starts raining, you're supposed to turn your lights on? Some of you, see, some of you don't know that. You're breaking the law if you don't. Well, I'm just saying that because you know what? In the Old Testament, there's 600 plus Old Testament laws, ceremonial laws, moral laws, all of those. And you know what? You break one, you're a lawbreaker. And you deserve death. You deserve death. It requires punishment. But God's grace, God's grace redeems us from all of that. Paul uses the example of the laws of marriage. He's not teaching on marriage right now. You want to know about marriage and divorce and remarriage and all that kind of stuff, go into 1 Corinthians, and we're not going there tonight. But that he says that a wife is bound to her husband while he's alive. Only death releases that person. And if the wife marries another person, she commits adultery. Because what? The two become flesh. That's God's purpose. The two become flesh. There is, there is a, a connection of the soul that's there. But Paul's saying the law says if you do it, you're committing adultery. If, if he dies, then that's fine. You know, Young people, we have some young people in here. I wish I could say this to all the young people. You, know, you, you need to save yourself for your mate. It's a special thing. It's a precious thing. It truly is. Recently, I had a uh, friend of mine that I've known since we were in high school, and that was a few years ago. And he, he got a hold of me, and he was searching us out, and, and he was really searching us out because he was asking about an old girlfriend of his that we knew, and he knew my wife was still in contact. But he did not know that we were married still. So when he asked me, he said, hey, are you and Janet married? I said, you bet I am. You know, she's my high school sweetheart. And uh, the thing about him, and he, and he shared with me, and listen, the guy's been married three times and had three wives. The last time I saw him, he was with his first wife. And then I had heard later on that, that he ended up divorcing her. And the sad thing was this. He said to me, he goes, you know, Randy, 
I wish I never would have divorced my first wife. And it, still, I think about it and how sad that was for him to have that. You know, when you experience divorce and you have that, you know, God hates it. He doesn't hate it because it's breaking the law. He doesn't like that. But he hates it because it creates so much hurt and pain and suffering in people's lives. How many of you come from a divorced family or you know somebody divorced? Probably all of us. It's painful. It hurts. Was never meant to be that way. You know, marriage was to last forever, a lifelong commitment. Some of you thinking about getting married, don't get married unless you think it's going to be for life until death do you part. Just don't do it. So only death releases a person from the jurisdiction, the dominion, the authority, the power of the law. Is the law good? Of course it's good. It's good, right? Sweeter than the honeycomb. It's more desirable than gold. It's perfect. God's, listen, God's word, the Ten Commandments, they're perfect. They're good. But Paul's saying that we don't have to be under it because we died with Christ to that. We died to the power of it is what we did. Let's read. Let's go on. I've got to get going through here. Four. Uh, so my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. I like that because you know exactly what he's trying to get at, right? You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. And now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. As a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. Verse 5. When you were controlled by your old nature, sinful desires were at work within us. And the law aroused these evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds. See, the good deeds, sinful deeds, or evil deeds, resulting in death. In verse 6, but now we have been released from the law, for we died to it and no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way, of obeying the letter of the law, but in a new way of living in the spirit. So we died to the power of the law. Do Christians need to keep the law to stay right with God? No. We don't. We can't. That's what this whole thing of Paul is about, saying quit trying to do these things to get right with God. It doesn't work. That's not what he wants. He got what he wanted, his son dying on the cross for you and I, giving that act of grace. Too many Christians are bound up, they're shackled, and they're constrained by, like Pastor Jeff talking about a while back ago, what, two weeks ago, those legal lists that we put, those rules and those regulations, you know, that we put upon ourselves. And listen, Satan loves to help you get those lists. He truly does. So here's your table talk for tonight. Why does Satan love it when Christians bind themselves up with rules and regulations? He should have that there. All right? So talk about it. You got five minutes. Why do you think? All right, you guys. I'm sure you guys came up with a lot of good uh, answers to all of that. I don't think there's just one answer. One of the things I was thinking about as I was working on my message here is that uh, I think s Satan does those things to keep us from experiencing that abundant life that we can have in Christ, you know. Uh, 
and those rules and those regulations, those kind of things, you know, they don't get you close to God. What gets you close to God is spending time with him, spending time in his word, fellowshipping with brothers and sisters. You know, and, and listen, I, I'm not saying don't do what the Bible says to do, okay? I, I'm not saying that. Don't say, well, Randy said that. No, I'm not saying that, okay? I'll, I'll speak a little, little bit to that in, in, in a little bit, but God wants us having an abundant life. He truly does. And rules and regulations just don't do that. And you, you'll hear a little more as I get through this. We got a lot to get through. Ephesians says this in chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. It's amazing as you study through here, you, you see Paul constantly talking about the grace of God and the law and all of that throughout the New Testament. And he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament because they were struggling with this. You know, what do you do with the law? What do you do with grace? So he says this, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. The world we live in is sinful. It walks in sin. It lives in sin, according to the prince and the power of the air, who wants us to sin, and of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Colossians 2, 13 through 14 says, you were dead because of your sins, and because your sinful nature was not yet what? Cut away. It wasn't yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all your sins. Grace. He canceled the record of the charges we were guilty, deserved punishment, charges against us, and took it away by doing what? Nailing it on the cross. What a picture that is. He nailed it on the cross. We were crucified with Christ. Galatians 2, 19 through 21 says this, for when I tried to keep the law, this is Paul, a Pharisee of Pharisees, it condemned me, condemned him to death. So I died to the law. I stopped, that was his choice, trying to meet all of its requirements so that I might live for God. He saw it, it, it bound him up. It handcuffed him so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless or exploiting it. He goes, I'm not going to exploit God's grace. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die on the cross. It's just plain as that. Because we died with Christ on the cross, now we are united, we are joined with Christ. You see, that's our new husband. Remember, going back to verse 1. You only get to get a new husband if your first husband died. And so who was the old husband? The law. That's what he's trying to say. The law was my old husband. He goes, that is dead. I died to that. Now I'm free to marry another Jesus. To marry Jesus. What is the result? What is the outcome? He says that we can now produce a harvest of good deeds for God. When I was studying that, even today, it kind of even struck me more. He says a harvest, not just a few good deeds or good fruit, but just a harvest. That means a lot. New American Standard says we have the ability to bear fruit. I taught John 15 right up here months and months ago when we went through John 15. Jesus is the vine. We are the what? The branches. And we're to bear what? Fruit. Fruit like this in Galatians 5, through 24. 
but the Holy Spirit, see, that's the Spirit working in our life, produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then look what he says. There is no what? Law. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have done what? Nailed the passions and desires of our sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. We placed them on the cross with Jesus, the grace giver. When we were controlled by our old nature in verse 5, those sinful desires were at work in us. Okay? They're still at work in us. They're still there. While in the flesh, it says in the New American Standard, while we were living in the flesh, in other words, those are what I call our BC days, our before Christ days. Man, I was a sinner. I don't know about you. Were you guys sinners? Yeah. Some of you were bigger than others. I, I know that. And I was a big old sinner. I'm telling you. Not the same man that I am today. But I was thinking about that, that, you know, when I was not a Christian in those old BC days, I didn't even know I was sinning. Did you? Maybe you guys are smarter than I was, but I didn't. I just figured that's just the way that you live life, you know? You lie, cheat, steal, you just do all sorts of crazy stuff like that. You know, use the F word like it's, you know, no tomorrow saying those words. But what he says here is that the law, and this is so interesting, it aroused my evil desires when I was controlled by the flesh. Those sinful passions that were in me, those, those sinful things, they were provoked. They were stirred up by the law. Stirred up by the law. Stirred up by rules. I never thought about that until I studied this, uh, this section here. And, and the first time through, it wasn't even in my notes or anything. But I thought back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve. Paradise. The most beautiful place there ever was on this planet, even to this day. They were probably the most beautiful people you'll ever see in their life. You know, they'd be on, you know, on TV all the time. They were that good looking. But here they are in paradise. God gave them, guys, one law. He gave them one regulation, one decree, one commandment, one directive, one guideline. That's all he gave them. One rule. And you guys know what it was, right? What was it? Don't eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of what? Good and evil. One thing. That's all he told them to do. Just don't do that. He said, you know what? You can eat of that other tree that's in the center of the garden. That's next to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know what that tree was? The tree of life. Eternal life was right there for them to take. And like I said, you know how Satan loves to tie us up with these rules. and us. Satan's always working there behind the scenes just like God is. And what did he do? He got in there with Eve and just started working there. And the next thing you know, what did they do? They ate the fruit. They ate the fruit. They broke God's one law. One law. And because of that, they died spiritually that day. They had such a sweet connection with God. I mean, you imagine how that must have been to hear God walking into Eve and talking to him and stuff. They broke it. They hid from God. And you know what God did? 
He had to protect the tree of life from them. So you guys know the story. What did he do? He put one of the cherubim, one of the mighty angels of God, to keep them away. And there's flaming swords that would just wave back and forth to keep them from doing what? Taking the fruit and living forever in that dreadful, sinful nature that they had. Because he knew redemption was coming one day. Can you put up that sign or the picture up there? There you go. Don't touch the wet paint. I don't know about you guys and see the concrete there. I did that. No, I'm not kidding. <laughs> but I was so evil. I'm telling you, when I saw those signs and when I saw concrete and there were signs saying don't do it, it aroused me as a young kid. It truly did. And I am telling you, I touched every weight wet paint sign I could and every piece of concrete that there ever was around my house. And look, at they were building apartment buildings all across my house, you know, when I was a young kid. I put my name in all of those things. <laughs> I was evil. I feel so bad. I became a general contractor and I poured a lot of concrete in my life. But that's what that sinful nature in us does. It, 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 it is... It pushes us to do what we know not to do. And Paul will talk about that a little bit more in, in verse 14. It's a shame that it does that, but that's what that old nature does. It produces a harvest of sinful deeds. We're supposed to be producing good stuff, but it produces these sinful deeds in our life. Sin begets sin. It's a snowball effect that happens. My life, when I was, you know, not a Christian, I bore such rotten fruit in my life. Such rotten fruit. You know, our flesh can only produce just filthy rags of rotten fruit. And those things aren't acceptable to God. We're released from the law, and that's the good thing, guys. And we're almost closed in hell. We're no longer captive to the power of the law. Why? Because of verse 1. We died to the law. Remember, it doesn't have jurisdiction, doesn't have power over us anymore. It doesn't have that anymore. But we got to believe that. We're not living under the letter of the law, but we're living in the spirit. That's that new way that New Testament believers can live. Obeying the letter of the law does what? It kills. It kills. I'm in a homeowner's association. And I tell you what. You know, when I first got into that homeowner association, they were living by the letter of the law when I moved in there 35 years ago. And uh, at one of the board meetings, they about hung everybody that was on the board because they were going out and they were writing, you know, violations for everybody in the whole place. The letter of the law kills. But the spirit of the law is where we need to be living. See, the point is this. We serve God because we want to serve God. If we love God, we want to serve him, right? With our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. That's how you know that you truly are a Christian. Do you want to serve him? Or do you feel like you're being forced to serve God? Do you feel like you're being forced to, to read the word and do the word? Or, or do you joyfully want to have the word in your life and listen to it. That's the way it's supposed to be. I'll ask you a question, and we're close to closing up here. 
You know, if you're serving God, is it a burden to you? Is it a burden to you? Or is it something that's enjoyable? If it's a burden, you better check your heart. Because it should be joyful to serve the living God. Romans 6.14 says this, Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Galatians 5.18 says this, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are what? You're not under the law. Not under the law. Paul the Apostle was under the law. He was imprisoned in his life, especially being a Jewish man, a Pharisee of Pharisees, by the law. And Jesus' death, which he didn't believe in, but once he believed in it, it opened up the cell door to that jail he found himself in. And you know what that jail was? It was a picture of him being in the law. And I saw this picture of, you know, Jesus opened up the cell door. And Paul, when he became a Christian, he saw that the cell door was open. That the law that was holding him captive, all of a sudden, Jesus' grace and his love, it opened up the door. And Paul walked out of that cell on the road to Damascus that day when he says, Lord, Lord. You see, God doesn't want us bound up with all of that stuff. For some of you, you might be in that cell. You might, have, you might have all these rules and these regulations that you're putting upon yourself. Jesus already opened the cell door. You just got to walk out of it. If you've got those legal lists. Am I saying don't read the word? No, I'm not saying that. Am I saying don't go to church? No, I'm not saying that. But you should want to. It should be a joy. I was sick for a while. I didn't get to come on a Sunday. And, uh, you know, I go on vacation. I, man, I miss not coming to church. I love coming to church. Don't you guys love doing that? Yeah, it's because Jesus is in your heart, right? Well, let's pray. Thank you so much, God, for giving us your grace. Thank you for showing us your grace. Thank you for continually showing us your grace in our life, Lord. We do struggle, Lord, from time to time. Paul struggled, and he'll share that in, in verse 14 with that sin. I wish, God, when all of a sudden we got saved, we gave our life to you, that, boy, we'd never have to sin again. But there's still that opportunity for us to do it. And if we really love you, Lord, we don't like doing that. I don't like doing that. It disgusts me at times that, that I'm still such a sinful man, Lord. That sometimes my attitude isn't right, the things that I say, the things that I do. Forgive me for that, Lord. Forgive my brothers and sisters for that. Help us to live in your grace, Lord. And help us to love people like you did and to minister in your name. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for saving us in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys and let's give them heaven.